Let's take our Bibles and we will turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Now, we've entitled this series, Getting Your Mind Right. What we want to do is see from God's Word how we as followers of Jesus Christ should think about a wide range of things. This morning, what we're going to be keying in on is right thinking about the church. So as we come to this text, let's look together uh, at the text. We're going to key in on verses 3 through 11. By the way, I think this thing is dead. It's not lighting up. And uh, that's a good question. Nope. There we go. I did the dumb thing. There we go. There we go. Now I got it. It works. Boy, you know, deprive a man of his remote, and it's really unsettling, isn't it? (laughs) Well, what we want to key in on this morning is right thinking about God's church. And so, together, let's look into this text and see the Apostle Paul reminisce with the church at Philippi about his connection with them as the one who planted that church and as the one who deeply loved that church. But rather than just looking at this as Paul's connection with a specific church, I think Paul writes this to us so that we can think about how we view the church. We are to pattern ourselves after Paul's viewpoint. We are to embrace the way he views the church. This wasn't just written so that we could see, hey, Paul really loved the church at Philippi, but I think it was written to us so that we can kind of check the way we think about our own church body and our connection to it and the importance of embracing one another as a fellowship of believers. So that's the way I want us to approach this text this morning. Now, as we come to verses 3 through 5, again, the Scripture says, I thank my God in my every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making mention of you with prayer and with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What we see first, as Paul shares with us in this text, is that we partner with other believers believers in our faith community. Isn't that an important concept for us to have about one another? We are not isolated individuals coming into a meeting so that we sort of hang out for a little while and then go our separate ways. We partner with one another. We have a closeness that is to exist. When Paul thinks about the church at Philippi, he shares with them that He was thankful for every remembrance of them. Now, as Paul writes this, bear in mind, he is in prison. He is chained to a guard. He longed to see the people at Philippi because he loved them so dearly. But circumstances kept him from doing that. That didn't break down the connection that he had with them, though. And so every remembrance that he had of them was something that he treasured. Now, when we think about what we saw last week and the experiences that Paul had in Philippi, we wonder, how in the world can you rejoice in every remembrance? You were beaten. You were thrown into a hole in stocks. How can you say that you reflect on that 
with joy. I think we have to think about what that word joy means. To rejoice or to have joy means I take delight in the purposes of God. And so as Paul reflected on the beating, as he reflected on being cast into a dungeon and chained in stocks, he thought more about the result of that experience. That Philippian jailer coming to faith and being a part of a fledgling church that God would use to spread the gospel in Philippi and around the world. He rejoiced in those things, and our joy sometimes will reflect on difficult circumstances, but when we view it through the lens of God's purpose being accomplished, even in those difficulties, we can find great joy, and we can have gratitude to God for what He accomplishes. Look at the fourth verse, and it reminds us that always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, Paul rejoiced in the opportunity to pray for his fellow believers. Do you rejoice in praying for your fellow believers? Sometimes we get so caught up in our own difficulties, we forget to uphold one another in prayer. Now here is Paul once again in prison, once again chained. And rather than looking to his own circumstances and just focusing, if I were Paul, I would be focusing on, God, get me out of here. Deliver me from this. I would be so inward thinking that I wouldn't be thinking about those outside my own misery. But here is Paul rejoicing in the opportunity to pray. And this says something very important about prayer. He rejoiced in prayer because he believed in prayer. He knew that prayer was an investment of his life, the only investment that he could make into the lives of the people of Philippi. You know, often I will talk to a shut-in. They are physically unable to come to church anymore. And they'll say, Pastor, why am I still here? All I can do is pray. And I remind them, prayer is an awful lot. As you pray for the church body, God hears those prayers and ministers through you. So don't say, all I can do is pray. View it as an opportunity to invest in the lives of others and find joy in that opportunity. God gives us that blessing of being able to engage with one another, yes, through even prayer. But then, notice the fifth verse. And this is something I really want us to key in. He talks about the partnership in the gospel. You know, when we view one another as partners, those that we share a common goal with, those that we are working alongside of. The Scripture tells us right here in this text that Paul rejoiced and prayed for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul had invested in the hearts and the lives of the people of Philippi. 
When he shared the gospel, he began a journey with them because he led them to Christ. And then he discipled them to deepen their walk with Christ. And they shared together in the work of the gospel. You know, that's the way we should view interacting with one another. You can have a significant role in someone else's life in the church body. And you have a partnership in the gospel. The moment you lead someone to Jesus Christ, you share in a partnership in the gospel with them. As you see to their spiritual growth, even if you didn't lead them to Christ, you share, you have a partnership in the gospel with them. But most of all, we have a partnership in the gospel because we all come into a relationship with God the Father in the same way, through the gospel. We share in that. That is our common bond. That is what brings us together, the gospel. And so Paul remembered that about the Philippians, and that was the way he viewed the church. And listen, that's the way God wants us to view the church as well. Do you view the person sitting on the pew next to you or across the church from you as someone that you share in the partnership of the gospel with? What are you doing to invest your life in the life of another believer? Be it prayer or be it discipleship, you should be thinking about the partnership that you have in the gospel. This is the way Paul viewed the church, and this is the way we should view the church. We are partners together. But then we come to the sixth verse. And as we come to the sixth verse, we find a promise of God working in us. Listen, we are to be engaged in working in one another's lives. But thankfully, there is one who is at work in our lives greater than any of us, and that is God. Look at what the sixth verse says. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You know what this says to me? The Word of God is reminding us that God is at work in our midst. God is at work in the individual lives of each believer. So, when I see a believer that isn't as far along in their faith as I would hope that they would be, guess what? God's still at work in them. And He doesn't necessarily follow my game plan. Or how he works that out. The Apostle Paul thought of the church at Philippi. And a little bit later, we'll see that there were some issues in the church at Philippi. But you know what he could say to the people who were even having some issues of spiritual immaturity? God is at work in you. God is at work in all of us. While we invest in one another's lives, we are the tools through which God ministers and works in the hearts and lives of others, but He works in other ways. God is at work. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, 
God's building. You know, this is the way we need to view the hearts and the lives of the people who are sitting in church with us. They are those that God is working in. They are those that are all around me that are experiencing the work of God in their lives. God can choose to use me through ministering to them, through encouraging them, through praying for them. But ultimately, it is God who is at work. And listen, that only, not only a, a applies to how we view one another, this also applies to how I'm to view myself. I am one that God is at work in. I am one that God is developing. I am one that God will see through until the day that I stand before Christ Jesus. Really, when I look at this verse, not only do I think about how it speaks of God at work in us and how we're to use that as our view for the church, but I'm also to view my salvation in this. Listen, God is responsible for seeing to the success of my salvation and the completion of my salvation. What does it say in this text? For it is God who is at work in you, right? God is the one who will bring that good work that He began to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You know what it means? The completion of my salvation rests in the faithfulness of God. In His power. In His ability. And thank God it doesn't rest in mine. Listen, it is by grace, not by works, that we come into a relationship with God. But some people get confused. And they think that after you trust Christ as your Savior, it's by works that you keep your salvation. If we don't begin by works, then we don't continue by works. God is the one who is at work in us. God is the one who is transforming us. God is the one who will see to the completion of my salvation. And I can rest in Him, in that truth. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Galatians. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, was it faith that brought you into a relationship with God? Obvious answer, yes, not works. Well, guess what? It's not works that keeps you in that relationship with God. It is the work of the Spirit of God in your life. It is the work of God in your life. God will see your work, His work, brought to completion. Then we go on in the text and we see something else. After talking about this partnership that we have in our faith community, he goes on in the seventh verse to talk about this. We need to passionately love those or a part of our faith community. When Paul thought about the people in Philippi, the love, the passion that he has for them comes out with clarity. Look at this seventh verse. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. When Paul writes this seventh verse, 
He's talking about a depth of emotion. He's talking about holding these people in his heart. He's talking about a love and a commitment and a connection. God wants us to engage with a church body to where we have that kind of connection and intimacy. Today, we see many who just sort of float. I'll connect with this church over here sometimes and this church over here sometimes and I'll go to a Bible study here and I'll go to a small group here and we sort of take a smorgasbord approach to community. You know what I see in Scripture? Connecting with a local fellowship of believers so that there is that depth of connection so that there is that sense of belonging, so there is that sense of accountability. It's important for us to love our church body. And I believe that's what Paul is sharing about his feeling for the church of Philippi, and I think that that's an important concept for us to grasp as well. And we share in this because of the gospel. Listen, we came into the faith community through the gospel. We all came the same way. Paul wrote this to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. God wants us to have that interconnection with one another. I wonder, do we hold Oakland Bible Church dear in our heart? I know that many of you do. I know that you care about this church body. You, you give of your time. You give of your resources. It's a place that you have grown to love. And as a pastor, I love you. Uh, I see the heart of a pastor right here as the Apostle Paul shares that he had given his heart to this church. And I know what it is as a pastor to give my heart to a church. You love them. There's a connection there that is as deep or deeper than family. And this is what God wants us to experience as a dynamic of connection within a church body. But listen, that means that we hold them in our heart. We don't look at whether or not they're holding us dear in their heart. We look at whether or not I'm holding them dear in my heart. This is what Paul was doing. He was loving the church with a depth, and he communicates that depth to them. Do you communicate your love for one another? It's important that we do that as a part of a faith community. Listen, Jesus said the identifying mark of one of his followers is that we love one another. And we need to communicate that love for one another. And I'm not talking about a mushy, ooey-gooey, sappy type of expression. But I'm talking about our actions demonstrating a depth of love, which I see all the time in this church body, and it encourages me. But look at what else we find. 
There's a profound desire to be with the people of God. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you want to be with the people of God? The Apostle Paul in this text, again, in prison. But what was his longing? Not to get out of prison, but to be with the people of God. He yearned for it. Again, so often what we see is kind of a church-optional idea in our society. Where I can wedge church in, I will. But it's not really that important. If I've got nothing else to do, then I will engage with my church community. What the Scripture presents is a true connection that we have with our fellow believers to where we long to be together with them. You know, I was so encouraged. I didn't ask permission for this, but I'm going to go ahead and share it. My son Ryan, we were talking on the phone yesterday, and he's a part of a small group in his church. And he's going to take on some extra classes to get a degree so that he can advance in his work. And as we were conversing, we said, so are you going to have to cut small group? And he said, no. Are you kidding me? There's no way I would stop being a part of my men's group. We've been together for three years. That's a non-negotiable. This is where I am. This is where I belong. What what a transformation, what a work God has done in his heart to to bring about that kind of connection, that kind of view of his church. And that's the way we should be. We should be like those mentioned here, like Paul himself yearning with the affection of Christ. You know what the affection of Christ is? It's a depth of feeling. It's a depth of emotion. It is looking and loving with our gut. The word affection is actually your bowels. You know, I can honestly say I love you with all my bowel, you know. That's the idea. And they said that loving people with their bowel, they, they would say that because that, that's, that's where you feel something emotionally. You know, this is the kind of love that Paul had for the church body. And this is something that is produced by the work of Christ in his life. This is the kind of love that God wants us to have, the kind of commitment that He wants us to have, this love that is produced by a love for Jesus Christ and a love for His people. Last part of the passage I want us to consider. It's found in verses 9 through 11. And in this part of the text, the Apostle Paul talks about the importance of praying for the spiritual growth of those who are in our faith community. And I want you to look at the ninth verse because not only is there this prayer, but there are certain things that he's praying for that I want us to take note of. And the first one is this, that we will progress in love with knowledge and discernment. Look at that ninth verse. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. First part of his prayer life for the church, that our love 
will abound more and more. Listen, to abound means to overflow, to be filled to capacity and then boiling over. That's the idea of this word abound. And the idea is this. As a church family, we are to have a love for one another that never looks and says, okay, I love enough. I've hit the mark, so I don't have to love anymore. It's to be abounding. It's to be overflowing. It's to be something that spills over into the lives of other people. That's the kind of love that God wants us to have as a church body for one another. But notice this love is to be guided by knowledge and discernment. Again, it says, may your love abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Now, how does my love abound with knowledge? Knowledge is what God records in His Word. And listen, the most effective way that I can love is by putting into practice what the Creator, the Designer, told me is the best way to love. As I follow the commandments of God, the teachings of God, the truths of God, then I will love more effectively. That's how my love abounds. As I study the truth of God, that should produce in me a growing love. Unfortunately, what we see a lot of times as people become more knowledgeable of Scripture, they become more arrogant. And when they become more arrogant, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. They aren't really understanding what they're learning. Knowledge isn't just an accumulation of facts. Knowledge is looking to the revelation of God, finding its truth, and then lovingly applying it. That's the idea. Don't be a person who just puffs up with knowledge, but allow that knowledge to change your life, transform you into a person abounding in love. Discernment takes that knowledge and applies it. Looks at how I can take these truths of God and promote them in a loving context. That's the idea. And this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to live in this way, to love in this way. And then look at what happens. As I'm progressing in love with knowledge and discernment, then I begin to pursue what is excellent and to be pure and blameless. Look at verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. When I am applying the truth of God, and when I am discerning and making decisions in light of that knowledge motivated by love, I'm going to make the best possible choices. When it says, pursue what is excellent, it means I will choose what is best. I will look at the many decisions that I have to make, and they will be guided by God's knowledge, God's discernment. You know, as believers, some of our hardest decisions aren't choosing between what's good and bad, but choosing between what is good and best. And so what God leads us to do as we seek His knowledge and with discernment applying it to our lives, He will teach us to choose what is best. And listen, when I am in 
this zone of choosing what is best than that goal of appearing before the Lord Jesus Christ to give an account of myself and being pure and blameless will be met. Do you realize that all of us will give an account of ourselves before Jesus? Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, to please God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Listen, when I am lovingly applying the knowledge and discernment that God gives, making the best choices that I possibly can, when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to give an account of my life, He will say, well done. And isn't that our goal together? To hear that from Christ. This is what God wants us as a church body to encourage one another toward to pray for one another toward. Not only am I to pray, God, help me to make the best decisions that I possibly can. I'm to pray, God, help TJ and Dan to make the best possible decisions that they can so that they might be presented to you pure and blameless. This is what we're to pray for one another in that sense of community. Last part of the passage, we're to praise God with righteous lives. Listen, when I'm making the right decisions, moving toward that goal of purity and blamelessness, verse 11 says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. What is the fruit of righteousness? Fruit, think in terms of outcome, something that is produced. Listen, I want to do righteous things while I'm here on this earth. I want to do what is right before God as a follower of God. I'm to pray that for myself, but I'm also to pray that for my brothers and sisters who are part of this faith community. I'm to invest myself in that kind of prayer life. This is what Paul was praying for the Philippians, and this is what I believe we should follow as a model for praying for one another. And when we do that, again, we recognize that it comes through Jesus Christ. It is God who is at work in you to bring about His good work for the day of Christ Jesus. Well, Christ is at work in each one of you. So our prayer should be, I want to see that work brought to its fullness. And for what reason? Look at the last part of this to the glory and praise of God. Don't you want to praise God with your life? Don't you want your life to point others, not to you, not to anybody else, but to God? Living this kind of life leads us toward that goal. But understand, we don't pursue it alone. We need one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to love one another. As a faith community, we need to engage with one another. That's the mind 
that we should have about God's church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the call that it is to all of us to think right when it comes to the church body. Let us love and live out your truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.